Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. I have such a cozy setup going on today. It's been raining outside and it's morning, which I don't typically record in the morning, but today I was just feeling energized. I was feeling ready. So I've got my coffee next to me. Here's some ASMR. <laughs> got my coffee next to me. I've got my water. I'm in my comfy sweats plus sweater combination. I actually just posted on my Instagram story because I have this sweater that I've been wanting to get from H&M. It's like a white turtleneck type of sweater and then it has black stripes. And I went to go buy it from there because it's always out of stock, but of course it sold out before I could grab it. So I got this one with beige stripes and I just cannot decide what I think about it. So I'm trying to wear it today, but I still have the tags on. Like, I'm not going out and about, but I'm just trying to see, like, can I match things with it? Do I like it? And I feel undecided. That was completely besides the point of this intro. So if you're new here, <laughs> we don't talk about coffee and fashion. We talk about nutrition, wellness, health, and I answer questions and discuss topics in a non-diet haze-oriented way because there's so much noise out there. It's really hard to know what you should follow, what you shouldn't follow, how to discern what works for you. And I feel like a lot of podcasts only present their bias. And although, of course, as I said, I have the bias towards being non-diet, intuitive eating, haze, I really do try to present both sides because I am a dietitian that is under the belief that the things that work for people, they're all different. There's no one size fits all. So I hope as you listen to each episode, you're able to figure out what really works for you. And since I didn't introduce myself, hello, my name is Mallory Page. As I said, I am a dietitian and I'm also the host of this podcast. If you want to follow me on other platforms, my Instagram is linked below, as well as my group coaching program, a free program that I have. Those things are always in the show notes for you guys to check out. But I really want to just dive in today and talk about something I have been seeing absolutely everywhere recently, which is the obsession with protein, even just protein in general and how much you should be eating. So I feel like the obsession with protein has been around for a very long time, and, and maybe not the obsession with it, but if we're actually looking at it logistically, the other two macronutrients out of the big three, which is carbs, fat, and protein, carbs and fat have been demonized in so many ways. They've always gotten such a bad rep, but you've never really seen that around protein. Maybe a little bit, I think, in the past when women were worried that protein would make them bulky, but I don't think that association was a massive one. I think it's just worth mentioning, but really there has always been this sense that protein is almost the superior macronutrient. We'll talk more about how I see protein obsession playing out in the current day, but let's start with where it began. So high protein diets, they probably kickstarted around the mid to late 90s, which is around 30 years ago. The Adkins diet, when that was invented in 1998, which is a high protein, low carb, low fat diet, that really kick-started things. And I'm sure many of you guys can remember those ads that you would see. Maybe your parents did Atkins, or maybe you are much younger than me, and you're like, what are you talking about? 
Adkins was so filled with all these like protein bars and protein meals. And I'm pretty sure even Kim Kardashian at one point endorsed Adkins. So it was a big thing when it came out. But the popularity of high-protein diets have been upheld by the keto diet, the paleo diet, the carnivore diet, the new obsession with weightlifting, bodybuilding, comp, all that type of stuff. And those have also really taken over social media specifically. And that has perpetuated this focus on high-protein, especially for the means of weight loss, health, or muscle building. Now, today we're primarily going to be talking about the current trend, which I'm seeing, that's more around high protein for health, wellness, and toning. The fad diets that I mentioned, although they're still around, they more tend to permeate the social spheres of Gen X, baby boomers, and then some millennials, whereas younger millennials and Gen Z are more making the transition away from that kind of diet culture-based nutrition into wellness culture. So these diet suggestions have become almost even more covert and insidious because they've disguised themselves in a different way to appeal to a different market. As I say that, you may be curious what I mean. You know, how are the rules or suggestions around protein becoming different than they were in the past. You know, isn't it just protein? But this is where diet culture and the diet industry, wellness industry will get you. They're so incredibly smart that they always know how to change the way that they speak about something in order to get you to buy into it. So when Atkins, Keto, Carnivore, Paleo all came out, although there are elements of those suggestions that pointed towards just increased health, the majority of their origination went back to weight loss, especially Adkins. You know, it was all about how this diet specifically would get you to lose weight because at the time, weight loss was the obsession of society. And I'm not saying that weight loss isn't the obsession of society, and it often is for those Gen X boomer millennial population. But when it comes to Gen Z and younger millennials, we often see their focus be a little bit more wellness and health-based. So the way that they've switched in order to market and get that audience to buy into the protein obsession is by marketing things less as a diet and more as a lifestyle. So when they are prioritizing high-protein meals, they are selling these health benefits that they say can come about, such as balancing blood sugar, building skeletal muscle, appetite regulation, improved bone health, restructuring your body composition, and even some of the claims out there have gone into the mental health arena. For example, there are some claims that protein can be helpful for people with ADHD, So that's a kind of interesting angle that is being taken for that younger population as well to get them to buy into protein. So the truth is protein can help with all of these things that were just listed. Now, to the extent of which that is true and what that would look like, we're not going to go into on this podcast because it would just take so much time, but taking it at face value that protein has been proven throughout many different research studies to help with these things when done the right way is true. 
Now, the bigger question is, though, not if protein is a useful macronutrient. The bigger question is, do we need to be obsessed with protein? And in order to understand that, we need to first talk about what the actual RDA for protein really is. So RDA is the recommended daily allowance, and that calculates out to 0.8 grams slash kilogram of body weight. And that is just the amount needed to prevent deficiency-related diseases and problems. So that isn't necessarily the amount that you want to be aiming for, but it's good to know that really to prevent any problems of not getting enough protein, it's just 0.8 grams slash kilogram. So now protein needs beyond this are around 1.2 to 2.0 grams slash kilogram of body weight. Now, before you run, weigh yourself and calculate your protein needs because that would not be useful at all. Please, please, please hear me out. We don't need to do unnecessary triggers here, all right? The average American gets plenty of protein. Actually, the person, the average person living in any developed country at all gets more than enough protein to not be at risk for protein deficiency and oftentimes even to thrive in general. People who are typically at a real risk of two true protein deficiencies are elderly people or those with cancer that struggle to eat enough due to various discomforts when eating, such as dry mouth, nausea, sore mouth, teeth problems, etc. Obviously, if you have extreme issues with food accessibility where you're not around any foods that are more protein rich, that can be a time where you have struggles to get to the protein that you need. And then as stated, anyone that is not in a developed country could also struggle with those problems. But I imagine that most of you guys here listening are not falling under many of those categories. I'm not saying that it's not possible that some of you guys are, but most of you guys, I would assume, are not falling under the categories of people that need to be worried about it. The only other thing that I want to mention quickly, just because I know that many of you guys listening to this podcast have struggled with your relationship with food in the past or maybe currently, is that there are times where when someone is severely under eating, they are also therefore under eating protein. So protein deficiency can happen in those cases. That is not something that you necessarily need to act on by trying to increase your protein. It's just saying that when you're under eating, it's affecting your body and all the macronutrients that you actually need. Now let's get back to the conversation around protein and how much you need. So you may be wondering as you're listening to me saying this, why there has become such a hyper-focus on protein, if those are the recommended needs for the day, then why is it that people are feeling like they need to overshoot that? Especially when you consider the fact that many people have no issue at all under eating the recommended daily allowances of fat and carbs, right? Like, let's not act like people actually have an issue with eating under what they think they, what is actually recommended and having what they think they should have with the other two macronutrients because people do it all the time. But protein, for some reason, is totally different. Why is that? Well, let's go back to what has been circulating in present day. 
there has been a recent rise in popularity with weightlifting and also bodybuilding. And these two things have really taken over social media and not taken over in the sense that you see them absolutely everywhere. Of course, all of our For You pages and Explore pages are different, but if you were to compare the amount of men and women on Instagram talking about their weightlifting or bodybuilding journey in comparison to what they're used to be, it would be extremely different. I mean, think about the fact that not that many years ago, women weren't even typically doing anything with lifting weights. It was almost only cardio-based, and many women were even afraid of lifting weights. So this has been a big shift overall. So it's very common, of course, that these weightlifters decide to eat a diet that is higher in protein. Now, there is some truth to the fact that Protein is important when you're weightlifting to help with synthesizing muscle mass because muscle is a protein. And when you are exercising, really in any way, but especially with protein, or especially with weightlifting is what I meant to say, you are making little micro tears in your muscle. And protein then comes in and helps to synthesize and grow that muscle. That's how they get bigger over time. So if you didn't have enough protein, it would make it much harder to achieve that type of muscle growth. However, if you are someone that's starting in weightlifting, you can very easily still gain muscle mass without increasing your protein intake. Also, many of those people that are doing weightlifting bodybuilding competitions They don't even need the insane amount of protein that they are having. And we'll get into more of why I say that later. But just remember that just because you see someone doing something on Instagram or online, it doesn't mean that you need to follow that. Especially because many of these people that are eating these insane amounts of protein They consider themselves to be a competitive athlete, whether it be in bodybuilding or in the sport of weightlifting, like powerlifting, even CrossFit, all of that type of stuff. And also, many of those people that are more in the bodybuilding sphere are on performance-enhancing drugs. So they are doing everything to push their body to the absolute limit. And when it comes to any type of athletics, we have to remember that us... A normal person just trying to achieve our healthiest, happiest, most aligned, fit self, whatever you want to call it, we're not the same as the bodybuilder going in to compete for a show. And it's very problematic when we try to subject ourselves to these same ideologies because being an athlete, there is an acknowledgement of the compromise that you are making. Those people that are doing that type of stuff, especially those that are on performance-enhancing drugs and eating very, 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 very high amounts of protein because they're trying to maintain their physique over any other type of achievement, right? Like, they're basically putting their body before their health. They know that they're doing that, or at least most of them do, especially if they have coaches. That doesn't mean that you should be doing that, though. And that's where I think we go wrong a lot of the time is that either some of these people share it, share their methodologies around protein and what they eat in a way that makes other people feel like they should follow it, or they don't acknowledge the 
risk that doing something like this can put you under. So please just remember to take that into account when you're thinking about how much protein you should have and comparing yourself to other people. Now, something else to remember when it actually comes to protein consumption, though, and why I say that many of these people don't actually need to be eating the amount of protein that they are, is because your body can actually only process around 20 to 30 grams of protein at a time for around a two-hour time frame. Typically, that variation is up to your body size. So a very large male could possibly do around 30 grams and a smaller female could potentially only do around 20 grams. Of course, we cannot calculate this perfectly, so there is going to be variation. But when you actually think about that, how different is that from what you often see online? How many bodybuilders do you see out there or people even online that aren't bodybuilders just sharing about what they eat that are eating 50, 100, sometimes even more grams of protein within the span of two hours? And this is where it goes more into the idea of using protein as a way to avoid other macronutrients and contribute to satiety. Because the protein that you eat in that case, when you eat over the 20 to 30 grams, it's not wasted, but it's not used for muscle hypertrophy. It, it will be used for other things. It's basically broken down like another macronutrient. So when someone is having those 50 to 100 grams yeah, they get those 25 or 20 to 30 that are going to be used for that protein synthesis if your body is needing it at that time. But then in reality, most of the time, those people are trying to avoid having those other calories come from something like fats or carbohydrates because they are wanting to stay quote unquote lean and they are convinced of the fact that eating this higher amount of protein is better for them. With all of this being said, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so like, what's the point of this? You know, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I'm trying to figure out how much protein I should have. Should I be focusing on high protein? Should I just be listening to what feels right? Should I be thinking about it at all? And we're going to get to those answers. But one thing I want to say, especially for those of you that may be coming in with a fitness type of background is I'm not here to argue whether or not eating a high amount of protein or whatever protein percentage you are convinced that you need to have is going to lead you to looking the most lean. Because in my mind, if that is your focus, number one, you're either in the bodybuilding competition world, which it's not my role to convince you whether or not that's actually healthy for your mental and physical health. That's technically up to you. I can tell you for me, as someone that almost went into it, it would have fueled my eating disorder even more, not been good for my body, and very significantly negatively affected my mental health. That's for me. Now, for the second half of this, if someone's listening to this and they are more of that fitness background or just general person that's like, well, what if I want to look lean and so that's why I should focus on protein? To me, that's a whole different subset of issues. The obsession with wanting to look lean and toned to an extent that you feel like you're having to modify your diet specifically for that 
goes back down to your mindset around your body and whether or not you are allowing your body to just be or if you're trying to really change it. And that whole mindset around wanting to change your body is one that we can't get into into this episode, but I would really ask yourself if those actual body changes that you're trying to achieve, that eating protein to look a certain way, is that really the best for you? And what are you gaining if you do change your body? Now, outside of this conversation around why you may be wanting to eat excess protein or eat higher protein, I should say, there are also people that high protein is not a good fit for. So I want to read off some of those to you guys. If you struggle with low appetite or lack of hunger cues, protein is very satiating and it may affect your ability to either just tolerate the meal, enjoy the meal, or even to meet your overall energy requirements in a day. If you struggle with IBS or GI problems, eating a lot of protein or high protein can increase these problems without an increase in water or just in general because of the fact that most often you are then limiting some of the carbohydrates that you would be having and therefore be decreasing fiber. And in general, sometimes protein can take a little bit more work to break down. High protein consumption requires a high water consumption as we are alluding to in that last point. So if you are someone that struggles with dehydration already, high protein diets can make that even worse. And you really can't break down proteins adequately unless you have that water intake there. It's called hydrolysis that allows that protein breakdown to occur. Now, this is the one that many of you guys are not going to like. If you are prone to becoming obsessive with any one way of eating, if you have been a chronic dieter, you have had disordered eating, you have had an eating disorder, you have in any way found yourself with an all-in, all-out mindset around food, being focused on a high-protein diet is not for you. That may have just taken out a significant percentage of those of you listening. So I want to make it very clear, as someone that has recovered from an eating disorder, and I do believe in full recovery, I believe that I am recovered, I am always of the mindset of even though I am recovered, being mindful of engaging in practices that could lead me down a slippery slope. And even things as relatively small, quote unquote, or glamorized as high-protein diets could still be that gateway. And the reason why is because these things that are now disguised as health come to sound normal or they're associated with just basically doing what's best for your body. But as we've stated in this podcast, that doesn't mean that that's true. This obsession that we have isn't actually that important. And so by doing that, not only are you making a negligible benefit to your health, you are also potentially going to create stress, create guilt, and find yourself in that same type of cycle of having stress around the things that you're eating again. So how would you differentiate between 
a protein obsession than in gentle nutrition. Because even though, as I said for myself, I've been through an eating disorder, so I don't engage in being obsessed about high protein. I still need protein. Everybody needs protein, right? It's, as I said, one of the key three macronutrients. So these are some questions that I want you guys to ask yourself when you are thinking about your relationship to protein and how it makes you feel. Are you able to have a meal that is not high in protein or even one that doesn't have protein and not feel anxious or stressed about it? For example, if you can't have a dinner without a protein on it, you go out to eat, you know, you want some pasta. You're like, yo, that looks good. I'm just going to have the, you know, this pasta dish. But you're like, oh, it doesn't have protein. Does that make you feel anxious and stressed or like you can't have it? That's a bad sign. Are you in your day-to-day and thinking that you can never have a snack that doesn't have protein? Do you feel like you always have to be looking at the amount of protein in the meal? And if not, does that make you anxious and stressed? Number two, are you fearful of carbs and fats? That typically leads to an over-reliance on protein and therefore shows you that there could be a bigger issue at hand. Are you constantly checking nutrition labels for protein content? Of course it's okay to want to understand which things have protein and which don't, but how often I see people only wanting to choose bonza pasta or something like that because it has protein versus, you know, a normal one that doesn't is just so, uh, it's just so much too often. That did not make sense. It's too often that I see that. Allow yourself to have things that are not always high in protein or even be okay with buying things that don't have the highest protein content. We need all the macronutrients, not just protein. Will you choose a food item that is not your preference because it is marginally higher in protein? Especially for those of you in the U.S. because many places have nutrition facts on their menu. Do you find yourself always looking for the thing with the most protein and avoiding something that doesn't have as much, even if you don't want that? Are you avoiding foods you love because they're low in protein? Or altering things. Can you have your normal morning pancakes or do you have to make them protein pancakes? There's nothing wrong with protein pancakes, but do you have to make them that? That's just one example, by the way. (laughs) There's many foods that you could do that with, not just pancakes. Are you engaging in activities that require an increase in protein consumption? Do you really need more protein? Are you a high-intensity athlete that is competing? Are you engaging in bodybuilding and something along those lines? Is it really that important for you to have that increase in protein? Because there are some times where we need an increase in protein, just like that athlete needs an increase in carbs. They need an increase overall in their energy consumption, so therefore their protein will go up. Are you eating more protein because it makes you feel good, or are you actually doing it because you hope it will change the way you look? Now, this one is a star, 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 extremely important to think about. Are you using protein as a way to help you with satiety because it tastes good to you, because you end up feeling energized, Or in the back of your head, are you just constantly thinking about wanting to change the way that you look? Are you reaching for that protein snack because you think, oh, if I eat this protein snack, you know, that will make me more toned, more skinny, lose weight, whatever it may be. 
Are you someone that is genuinely concerned about your bone health or blood sugar? This goes back to the whole marketing of diet culture versus wellness culture. I find that it feels much more psychologically comfortable for those in Gen Z and young millennials to think that they are engaging in something that is for their health because that doesn't make them feel like they're fitting the very typical diet culture weight loss epidemic that maybe their parents were engaged in or other people in their life. But at the end of the day, most often than not, they still have the same desires underneath it. Like, oh yeah, I'm eating more protein for my bone health and to help balance my blood sugar, but actually the way that they feel like it's being successful is if they're losing weight or if their body is changing. Those are those type of questions that I would ask yourself to check in with how you're feeling, why you're doing what you're doing, and how much protein you should really be having. As I tried to emphasize when we were talking about RDA and protein recommendations, I really, 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 really do not want you guys to try to start calculating this, especially those of you that are thinking, oh, you know, I need to log this and track my protein for the day and think about how much I'm going to have at each meal and shoot for this certain amount. I really don't want you guys to be doing that. I, of course, can't control what you do, but I have a strong preference against continually feeling like you have to check the amount of anything that you're eating, but even including protein. I've seen protein almost seem like it's not tracking. Like I've seen people that talk about like, oh, I track my protein throughout the day, but it's not in any way disordered or unhealthy for me because it's protein. I'm like, no, it's the same thing. Even if it doesn't feel disordered to you, it is still tracking. So how I would suggest going about this is just having protein where it fits naturally. You know, like many of us have protein multiple times a day, right? A lot of us, when we eat our meals, our breakfast, but especially our lunches and our dinners, we have protein mixed in there. And most often than not, even that is enough. But of course, you can kind of listen to your body. You know, you may have a day where you have eggs in the morning and turkey on a sandwich at lunch and salmon at dinner. And that is perfectly fine. And then you may have other days where honestly you don't eat protein. Not a lot of it. I mean, protein is in so many things, right? Maybe you wake up and you have cereal and then you have, I don't know, pasta for lunch and then you have a salad with cheese for dinner, which cheese has protein. Now, would that be as much as the day before? No, it wouldn't. But do you need to stress about that and think that you're in protein deficiency or that you are not doing something good for your body because of that? No, not in any way. It will balance out. If you are able to get in tune with your body, then your body will communicate with you. If you feel out of sync with your body and you have really diminished your hunger cues, your fullness cues, your cravings, it will be harder and you may have that journey of needing to shed any disordered or unhealthy or just habits and rules that you are engaging in in order to be able to find that more natural cadence with your cravings and what you desire. But if you're able to get through that, then it's going to make it clear. So if you're that person that is more struggling with like the rules around food and what you're eating, then a good way to start would be shedding those obsessions around what you need to have. You know, if you're feeling like you have to have protein at every snack, start to have snacks without protein. If you're feeling like you have to have protein at breakfast every single day, even though you don't want it, 
have some days where you don't have protein at breakfast. You know, just start to work on the areas in which those rules are presenting in your life. So the protein obsession is one of those things that's really tricky in wellness culture, and there's a lot of opinions about it. There's really nothing wrong with focusing on having protein because, of course, we need it. But when it comes to any dietary pursuit, it's important to ask yourself why you're pursuing the new habit and also how it really makes you feel. Is it really to improve your quality of life or are you just trying to change the way that you look? I find that most endeavors to change the way that you look lead nowhere but to a psychological downward spiral of body dysfunction and food obsession and the overall benefit is very, very negligible. So if you do decide that you are trying to just be more mindful of protein in your meals to help you feel your best, I would just really try to smart very small and simple and not overthink it. Don't give yourself a goal for meals. Don't think, oh, I need to have X, Y, and Z amount. Just make little changes where you add in a little bit of protein. And that can be so simple. Protein is in so many things, guys. It is in beans. It is in dairy. It is in meat. It is in cheeses. It's in pretty much everything to an extent. So don't overthink it when it comes to adding stuff in. So with doing that, you may even find that the way you were eating before actually made you feel good. And you don't even need that much protein to really make you feel better. Again, everyone is very different. So you're just going to have to figure out what feels right for you. I really hope this episode was helpful to you guys. I, at the end of each episode, when it is pertinent, will give these things a rating. So the rating is one is, well, actually zero is zero diet culture at all, which we've never had before. It's basically impossible, but maybe there's something out there. 10 is the most diet culture it could possibly get in the history of diet culture. So I'm not talking about protein itself and how diet culture protein is because I think it's would be weird to say that protein is diet culture. It's just a macronutrient, right? Like protein is protein. But I would say the obsession with protein, this glamorization of protein, I would give it maybe a six to a seven, maybe more towards a seven, like a (laughs) 6.7 seems right. Because I think that there in general is importance to the idea that people are recognizing that protein is helpful, but I think it's negative in the fact that many of the undertones come back to changing your body. If you have different thoughts on this, always let me know. I'd love to hear from you guys. So you can shoot me a DM. You could share this on your story if you were wanting to. Share it with a friend if you think someone would benefit from it. I always appreciate any ratings or reviews that you give the podcast, whether it be on Apple or it be on Spotify. It really means the world to me. And if you have any episode ideas that you want to see from me soon, please feel free to let me know. You can submit episode ideas online at Seems Like Diet Culture. I'll put, it's not actually at Seems Like Diet Culture technically. So let me put it in the show notes. There is a little box where you can submit things and you can also shoot me a DM. I always look at those too. Thank you guys so much for joining and I will see you guys next week.